welcome to Soulmates Podcast. My name is Rachel. I'm Fabian. Now you might have noticed that I do not have Emily with me. It is just me and Fabian today. I think Emily might have an Emily and Kyle exclusive episode brewing. Um, But for today, it is just me and my partner Fabian. And we're here to talk to you about season one of Castlevania Nocturne. So this show premiered on Netflix in... September, specifically September 28th, 2023, so kind of towards the end of September. So we're like a squeeps late doing (laughs) this review, but with the official renewal for season two coming from Netflix, we figured it would be a good time to do this review to encourage you to watch season one if you haven't already. This series was also nominated for Best Adaptation at the Game Awards this year in 2023. It has eight total episodes, and each episode is only around 25 to 30 minutes, so it's really only devoting about four hours of your life to this whole season. And if you have ever played the Castlevania games, I have not. I'm sure you will see lots of Easter eggs and parallels in this show, but even if you have not played any of the Castlevania games, you didn't even know there were Castlevania games, you will still really like this show if you love any type of fantasy monster hunting at all you will like this show and we're here to prove that to you (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it's going to take much proof anyway after the the last series of castlevania i know there are new showrunners but it's it's still pretty much in the same vein animation is really really tight voice acting is really interesting and funny the writing is great so yeah not much really needing to convince you on but here we go I will also say you do not have to have watched the original Castlevania show on Netflix to watch Castlevania Nocturne. They are set in very different times. There is a little bit of crossover that will help you maybe understand the basic premise of what's going on. But I wouldn't say it's an absolute must prerequisite that you've watched the previous iteration of Castlevania on Netflix. Yeah, not at all. It's literally taking place 300 years in the future of the first series. So quick disclaimer before we really dive into everything, we're not the best at pronouncing every single word and name and town, so please be gentle with us. You guys always are. So um, with that being said, Fabian, would you like to kind of read a quick premise of what the show is about? All right. Set in 1792 during the French Revolution, primarily in the French commune of Machacool, The series follows the young slave Annette and her friends Richter Belmont and Maria Renard as they make new allies and attempt to prevent the apocalyptic rise of a godlike vampire messiah. A vampire messiah, you say? (laughs) Yes, a vampire messiah. A vampire messiah. All right, so as we do in all of our reviews, we're going to give you just basically a brief synopsis of what happens in the first three episodes of the series. If you want absolutely no spoilers whatsoever, you can go to the very end of the episode where we promise to review without giving spoilers, to review generally. But if you want to get a taste for what the series is like before you commit four hours to it, I totally understand. And you can listen along. It's definitely not a replacement for watching the show. So you'll still enjoy it if you actually want to watch the show. It's not at all. It is a feast for the eyes. Yes. And we'll talk about that more later as well. So the first episode's title is A Common Enemy in Evil, and it starts with 
Richter Belmont as a child in Boston uh, in 1783, where he witnesses his mother Julia killed at the hands of a powerful Aztec vampire Ulrox, who ends up sparing his life. So he still flees to France, where he is raised by speaker magician Tara Renard alongside her daughter Maria. In 1792, during the French Revolution, so we've jumped forward about um, 10 years or so, Maria is now rallying the rebellion against the aristocratic bourgeoisie, many of whom are vampires, while Richter continues the vampire hunting legacy of his Belmont bloodline, though he is unable to use his Belnades uh, bloodline's magic. So there's obviously some sort of blockage going on from him witnessing the very traumatic death of his mother. Like they don't really get into that in this synopsis, but it is a pretty brutal killing and obviously has deeply scarred him. Ooh. Yep. And, <laughs> and it's only about like nine to 10 years later. So he's only 19 in the series. And Maria, I think is like 16 or 17. Like she's a little bit younger than he is, but regardless, she's, you know, Viva la Revolucion and trying to rally up the townspeople. <laughs> they do a good job of drawing him like adults though. So you can neglect the whole child thing. You know, you're like, Oh, these aren't kids, you know, fighting for their life against demons or anything. Right. <laughs> But that's what's happening. But it is, yes. So Maria and Richter hear the vampire speak of an ominous vampire messiah and report this to the church's abbot Emmanuel. Encountering night creatures, demonic beings created by a forge master, they are rescued by the arrival of Caribbean sorceress and former slave Annette and free mixed-race opera singer Edouard, who are seeking Richter based on a vision from a seer warning of the vampire messiah. Meanwhile, Olrox arrives in France. So that's a lot to pack into this first episode, um, but it really does set the scene of Richter is in France with his newfound family. Uh, he still has this deep scar from his past, meaning he cannot use his magic. Maria and her mother are very much on the side of the revolution, but there is another player in the field, this abbot, who is not really convinced by, you know... Anyone. By anyone, by Richter and Maria when they come and tell him, like, we keep seeing vampires. He's like, oh, just... Turn to God and everything will be fine. And then the encountering of the night creatures is not something they've encountered yet. And when they do, they're like, oh my God. And they're like overwhelmed at their house. Um, and Edward and Annette really save them. They mm -hmm. provide an extra set of hands. And I would say Annette is a very good fighter. Edward helped a little bit. He doesn't have any special powers, but Annette does. And you'll learn more about that um, later in the series. Yeah. I mean, when they arrive... Richter literally has no idea what these creatures are. Like, he's never seen anything like them before. He's used to just vampires. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very different world from the world that we remember in the first Castlevania series. Right, right. It's been 300 years, so a night creature hasn't been seen. Quite in, some time. In 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Fabian, I'll let you do episode two. The title of episode two, Horror Beyond Nightmare. Dralta Duentes arrives as an emissary of the vampire messiah, Erzabet Bathory, to secure an alliance between the vampires and the abbot Emmanuel, revealed to be the forge master. Dun, dun, dun. Which honestly is not a surprise to me. He, no. he was sus from the beginning. When they mentioned vampires, he smiled. What kind of abbot smiles at the mention of vampires? <laughs> a creepy one. Um, sus. Sus. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, um... Emmanuel fears the revolution and seeks to crush it by allying with the vampire forces. Upon hearing 
of Urzabet from Annette and Edouard, Tara reveals that she fled Urzabet in Russia in her youth after failing to rescue her younger sister from her. The four youths make plans to attack the vampire aristocrats at their palace, but lose the element of surprise when Annette sees Vaublanc, the vampire who enslaved her and her mother amongst the partygoers. Yeah, so basically, like, after Tara, who is Maria's mother, reveals, like, this horrible story of her sister being taken captive by Urzabed, the a lot of them are listening. They're like, let's go fuck it up at where we think the vampires are at the chateau, which, surprise, surprise, they are there when they get there. Um... Uh, the, the synopsis hasn't talked about Annette's powers either, but essentially she can manipulate metal and earth. She's essentially a uh, top tier earthbender. Is yes. really what it boils down to. That the, yes. that's her power set. It comes from being connected to elder gods from Africa that have nothing to do with the Christian deity or anything like right. that. And um, that's basically it. She can make she can make metal pl- silver plates crumble to dust and turn into swords or blades in her hand it's pretty awesome right and the chateau is actually on an island so she built like a dirt bridge for them to go over like a rock bridge yes um so that's how they got onto the island but yeah they see like the the party is happening and all it is is all these fucking vampires so um va blanc which you'll which I think Annette says earlier, but we need to provide context here. Val Blanc is the vampire who enslaved her and her mother, and he was awful. Because I'm not sure if it was actually touched upon, but Annette and Edouard come from... Yeah, Sandoman, which is now uh, modern-day Haiti. Yeah, and they were part of the first Haitian rebellion in 1701. So, like, they definitely had this whole backstory with, you know, plantations and slave masters, and most of those slave masters happened to be vampires. Right. And they they do a deeper dive into their backstory, actually, in episode three. But I think this context is helpful because Annette literally, like, cannot control herself when she sees Vaublanc. She's like, he needs to be dead. So her not being able to control her anger, really, makes them... Lose uh, the element of surprise. Lose the element of surprise and they're discovered. So... They find themselves overwhelmed and flee, but Edouard is killed. His body is then used to create a new night creature. Yeah, that's how they end the episode is revealing what Edouard looks like as a night creature. And it's really eerie because he does look very similar, but he's also like you can see in his eyes how tortured, sad and yeah. tortured he is. Um, and more about that is revealed later. It it did make me sad that, um, you know, they reveal Edouard as a, as, a, as a gay man in the next episode. But it just makes me sad that like... The gay black man is immediately killed um, and made and made into like a very depressing plot device. I think him as a character, he still does get to develop even as the night creature, which you'll see later on in the show. But it, I'm just like, he could have been a cool character without being a night creature. Well, he still could have been relevant. He yeah, still could have been relevant, right. But. So that that's one of the gripes I have with the series, but... Regardless. Um, so that's the end of episode two. Episode three's title is Freedom Was Sweeter. In this, we get kind of like a backstory on Annette and Edouard because she's grieving for him and is recalling her past. Under Vaublanc's cruelty, his murder of her mother also gruesome, terrible. Very, very much a um, parallel to Richter's witnessing of murder. Um, of but his mother. Right. But he he actually says something really cool, though, when Annette is, like, revealing her backstory. He says, but I fled and you could not. Mm -hmm. 
And she said yes, but it wasn't for lack of fucking trying. Um, <laughs> so Annette's magical powers basically awaken when they try to like brand her, which is disgusting. Um, but anyways, she flees the the plantation, I'm guessing. I think a sugar cane plantation, mm-hmm. um, but that's irrelevant. Um, so she flees into the, the town and finds refuge with Edward, who's giving an opera concert. Um, to 500 people. <laughs> um, and he basically kicks out Vablanc, who, like, chases after her and is like, my dog, smell her in here. And he's like, well, you're destroying the fucking performance, so goodbye. And your dogs stink. And wash your dogs them. stink. No, he didn't say to wash them, but he said they stink. <laughs> yes. And he basically smuggles her away in, like, a giant, um, like, a base, uh base case yes yes yes. so together with the other freedom fighters led by cecile fatiman they lead a slave rebellion in sandoman until cecile has a vision and sends them annette and edouard to france to seek richter because she basically says like hundreds of thousands of people are gonna die and like this vampire messiah this killer is not (laughs) here yet but she will come here she will conquer the world so unless you stop her so they go to france <laughs> and then we switch back to Ulrochs. remember he's in france too puttering around being mischievous it's hard to kind of tell what side he is on which makes him kind of a great character in my mind a but card. yeah he's a wild card he makes his way to abbot emmanuel's church but is intercepted by his right hand man knight Mizrock, and he warns Mizrock that Urzabet will turn on their alliance eventually. They also have relations, so more gay characters there. (laughs) Um, So then we're back to, we go back to Maria and Annette. Maria introduces Annette to the other revolutionaries to inspire them, and they are inspired, but at the end of the meeting, night creatures descend upon them, including the one made from Edward. And they do a really great job fighting, but then at the end, Annette locks eyes with the night creature that was Edward, and she is like stunned because she re- she recognizes him immediately, yep. and she right she like cannot move. And a night creature starts to come on her from behind, but Edward, the night creature that was Edward, <laughs> sees Annette being endangered and kills its fellow night creatures to save her, and is then brought back to the church because that was not what that night creature was ordered to do at all yes 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 they don't like rebellion right i would say all rocks is very much a chaotic neutral going back to all rocks yeah yeah just, they, they, honestly as much as he's an uh, a villain he's one of my favorite characters because he he's very much he gives me sukuna vibes Yes, and I, I'm sorry, this synopsis really like threw him in into there because he is an important character later on in the series. Um, he becomes more important, but he's like doing his little thing in the background for a while there. But yeah, he is very much a wild card of a character and I really do like his character and I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him in season two. Spoiler alert, he does not die, so... It's, it's, it's definitely going to be like a big moment for him, between him and Richter. There's no way that's going to go unresolved. Oh, for sure, for sure. All right, so I think we're going to end with kind of a rating, a discussion. I thought it was interesting that Wikipedia wrote or had this on its synopsis page. It says the series received critical acclaim with praise for its animation, directing, writing, themes, and voice cast, while its pacing and character development drew some criticism. And it did not 
elaborate further <laughs> on that, um, nor did I check the source. So I wasn't really sure what exactly they were talking about. But Fabian, I... It stinks one, of AI. AI generated... It stinks of AI. <laughs> it does. It stinks of an AI generated like synopsis. Like, But do you agree with that statement? Like, How would you rate the overall plot and pacing for the um, season? I would say that considering how much world building they were trying to squeeze into eight episodes what, that are 20 minutes, around 20 to 25 minutes each, like, I think the pacing was done well. Honestly, I think the writing was done well enough that the jokes and the interactions between characters distract you from some of that the pacing issues. In my personal opinion, the relationships between characters. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. All Rocks was definitely giving, you know, some bisexual vibes when you first saw him. Yeah. But, like, I'll say that overall the pacing was not terrible. It definitely was a bit rushed, but I think it was still handled well. And it didn't, it doesn't distract you from the overall story. It's really good and it's still really worth watching. I highly praise this animation. Yeah, I have to say that I really didn't find any issue with the pacing. Do I wish there were more episodes? Yes. But do I also feel like if there were more episodes, things would have dragged? Yes. So I, I feel like this season really, the main purpose of it was to set up the world for the main action to happen in season two. And I know that some people want don't want that. <laughs> um, and want, you know, the world building to happen really fast and then just like get to it. But really, I think the main purpose of season one was to thoroughly set up the world and thoroughly drum up how evil and how crazy Urzabed Battery is. Yeah. I don't want to give any spoilers, but really that's what the the, the, overarching. the overarching purpose of season one, I think, is, is to set up what's actually going to go down in season two. That said... It really does have some visually stunning fight scenes, choreography, awesome things happen in this show. It is definitely not boring in, no. in, by any stretch. No, it's it, it's not boring. I would say a lot of the, the skirmishes do not move the plot along very much, but they still do serve a purpose in setting up fighting abilities, what's actually happening in the town, etc. So I kind of disagree with that criticism on the pacing i think the pacing was just fine also the overall plot i really liked as well again because it was a setup for season two i'm like really excited for season two and i was not bored like you said so fabian if you had to give the overall plot and pacing for the season a score out of five what would you give it i would honestly probably give it a 4.5 because like i said it seemed a little bit on the rush side but at the end of the day i think they handled it really well yeah i agree with you so how would you rate the voice acting? Five out of five for sure. Um, all of the voice actors, they felt like they were in the same room to me. And that's very seldom the case when it comes to recording voice lines. So I would definitely say they did really well. They were really funny. Um, I mean, obviously that's more the writers, but they their delivery was on point. Yeah, I would say, I don't know. I feel like Richter fell flat sometimes. Really? Yeah, but I, but I also feel like that's his character is to kind of be like, you know, he's just like fucking Trevor. <laughs> oh. Where he's just kind of kind like... Kind of an ass. Kind of an ass. Kind of doesn't care. Or like he comes off nonchalant even though he cares a whole lot. Um, yeah. 
Um, so I guess in that instance, the voice actor did a good job. Aquarius energy. Aquarius <laughs> energy. Yeah, I would say the voice acting w- was pretty good. I would give it a four out of five. And how would you rate the music and animation? And everything else. I actually really liked all of it. I thought it was a very beautifully animated show. The gore was not over the top. That's always a big pet peeve of mine. I hate stuff that's like super, super bloody and like gratuitous. It did not feel like that. It did feel appropriately gory. I'm not going to say there was no blood or gore, but it wasn't like lingering and like horrific. (laughs) (laughs) in any sort of way um, which I feel like some shows can go that way I also thought the music especially with Edward's operatic singing and everything they did such a good job of like really leveraging that classical like mournful music to kind of like be a thread through the show um, which I thought was really well done I also thought the animation of like the slave uprising Annette discovering her powers and running away like all of that was very beautifully done as well like any of the her any of Annette and Edward's like backstory I think was done really well as well yeah I would give it a five out of five I agree. I agree completely. Um, it was it's it's captivating. It's one of those things like we were reviewing the uh, the show just before um, recording, just to you know have it a little bit fresher in our mind, and we kind of just kept watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we were like, yeah, we just need to you know rewatch the first three episodes, and it just kept playing, and we just and before I knew it, I was like, oh wait, wait, we need to stop. This is this yeah, is not we're what going we're too far. For. Um, so it's one of those things that the, the, even though people complained about the pacing and all of that, just watching the pretty pictures on the screen really does draw you in. Yeah. So what would you rate the overall show out of five? I would give it a four out of five. I know that it sounds, it sounds a little low considering I've been like five, four and a half, but I mean, it's not a perfect show. And if I compare it to the first show, it's not quite there, if I'm being honest. It's not, but it's still a really good show. Like, very, very well done, visually stunning, fun time. Rewatch value tenfold, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think the reason why I'm giving it a four out of five is going back to that the comment that actually Wikipedia had about character development. I would say that their characters did develop a little bit, but not enough. Um, and it, and I understand that that would be very hard to do in an eight episode season. With so, so I'm, many characters. With so many characters, but I am really looking forward to season two to see them flesh out some of these characters a little bit more. Like Maria gets very little character development and I feel like I want to know more about her, more about her powers. I feel like Annette was starting to get there, but really it was just like... I escaped slavery and now my friend is dead and I'm sad. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was kind of her character development. Um, and I also feel like Richter, Richter probably had the most character development of of anyone in this season, but I think the whole cast of characters should definitely be focused on in season two. And if they're not, that's kind of a waste in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I do love Netflix's, formula of putting out about eight episodes of a program but a program like this with content as thick as this would really benefit from a longer uh episode um Mm -hmm. runtime if i'm being honest it's it's really good yes it leaves you wanting more so why not instead of doing the 25 give it like a good 40 minute run Mm -hmm. you really really flesh out those characters 
give the story the background it needs, especially in the first season, Mm -hmm. in order to build upon that platform. You know, right now they left. Don't get me wrong. It's still a good thing because it leaves me wanting more and wanting to watch more of this property. But there's so much, so many questions, Mm -hmm. so many questions. Yeah, I, I, like I like I'm gonna sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but it really is the season. Really, just feels like a setup for season two, um, and they could have released it all together, and it could have just been sixteen, even twelve episodes to kind of wrap up the first story arc of Nocturne. Um, but I don't know what else they have in store, so maybe that's for a reason. <laughs> We're not the showrunners. And... We're not the showrunners. Yeah. So ultimately, Fabian, would you recommend this show to a friend? Oh, 100% would and have. Um, I've definitely told plenty of people to check it out. It's worth it. It's it's a fun time. I I definitely sense wisps of Trevor Belmont and Richter. And oh, yeah. Trevor was my favorite part of the original series. So I yeah. love a sassy bitch. So <laughs> yeah, definitely would recommend. Yeah, I would recommend it as well. And I recommend that you guys give it a shot if you would like to watch it. So let's wrap up this episode with our weekly K-pop song recommendations. This week, I'm going to recommend Unforgiven by La Seraphim. I just love those girls, man. That shit is so dope. <laughs> anyway. And I'm going to recommend Rover by Kai. Thank you for listening to Soulmates Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Soulmates Podcast. We also have an Instagram account at Soulmates Podcast where we have our link tree that links to all of our relevant social media accounts. You can send us an email at soulmatespodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on YouTube under our channel name Soulmates Podcast where we have some videos of our travels and other things like that. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, etc. We are anywhere podcasts are found. And thank you so much for watching and have a great rest of your holidays.